You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. going on everybody welcome back to the it's always draft season podcast part of the back Net podcast network jake should here with you guys of course you can follow me on twitter at jake nfl draft and yes we are on the clock once again for this show it's a big week obviously we had a little bit of college football a little bit of the appetizer per se last weekend a couple big teams uh getting underway in notre dame and usc will kind of highlight a player from that and you probably know who it is a little bit later in the show that's going to be fun we're going to talk about a lot of different things in this episode before we get to our two big shows before college football really gets underway on saturday we'll have offensive positional previews and defensive positional previews for 2024 prospects a lot to cover in those we'll give you a little bit of taste of something for that as well but i think we got to start here on this show because it's it's about the draft it really is this show obviously and that doesn't just pertain to the current draft cycle that we're in obviously you know we're going to talk about rookies a lot on this show throughout the season for sure especially you know from a Packers perspective on things at the same time want to revisit something because of what happened recently Trey Lance ends up the third quarterback on the depth chart for the 49ers and then is quickly traded to the Dallas Cowboys for a 2024 fourth round pick. That's all it took to acquire a player that the Niners traded the 12th pick in 2021 and then the fir- a first round pick in 2022 and 2023 to go up and get Trey Lance. What a wild thing to look back on and it will be even more so a decade from now to talk about how the Niners put all of their eggs in a basket to go get a QB with upside that clearly needed time. And in, I believe five starts has given up. They've given up on him. Obviously they traded him. So just a wild turn of events for San Francisco 49ers and Normally, that type of move ending in this type of deal is fireable. Pretty much any other team that ends up like this with a quarterback that they moved two first-round picks and a pick swap in the first round for, that's fireable. And, you know, Chris Ballard has often talked about, you know, the clock starts for the hot seat and, and for your firing Once you draft a rookie quarterback and it's very true. And that's why Ballard kind of played the long game and, you know, sat there with a bunch of retread veterans until evidently, you know, they kind of, he kind of got the poke or the nudge from management to say, okay, now is the time, buddy. You need to go get one. We're kind of sick of this, this kind of charade of, of veteran quarterbacks. So he did that. The Niners, obviously back in 2017, when, 
you know, John Lynch gets the job. They trade for, for Jimmy Garoppolo, who sat behind Tom Brady a lot in New England, didn't think he was going to ever have a chance to play. You know, looked promising when he did play for the Patriots. So they trade for him. They give him a big deal. And, you know, for all intents and purposes, I mean, he's had he had success with them. And when you look at, you know, the past, the, the, the tenure of Garoppolo kind of almost tied to to John Lynch and, and to a good degree Kyle Shanahan as well, you see success there. Right? They they make the Super Bowl uh in the twenty nineteen season. You know, they're on the doorstep multiple seasons in a row in the NFC title game. They just haven't been able to get over the hump. And when they have gotten the over over the hump of the NFC, they didn't finish the deal against the Chiefs. When it kind of felt in the bag, Garoppolo missing a touchdown late. A lot, you know, really turned and gave the Chiefs the title, but all intents and purposes, like I said, I think, you know, you look at the Garoppolo tenure and it's tough to win. So I think they did a decent job with that, but Shanahan and Lynch clearly together thought at some point, it's like, all right, we know what we can do with Garoppolo in the offense. What if we have a guy who, you know, has the potential of a Hertz, of an Allen, that type of player in the draft? Can we go get him? And, you know, if we have the conviction, let's go get him. Let's elevate ourselves. Let's raise our ceiling a little bit on offense with what we could believe is a demigod at quarterback. And that's the gamble that they took in a class that everyone felt extremely high on, especially with physical tools and traits. And I've said this before, and I'll, I'll probably say it you know a million more times. We look at 2021, and it was, it was talked up as a, you know, it had the Mac Jones of the class, the real safe floor player at quarterback, you know, who you could maybe settle for mid-first round, maybe all the way down to the second round. And you had the four guys. You had the generational, quote-unquote, Trevor Lawrence, the can't miss, who almost looked like a miss for a little bit there. You had Justin Fields. You had Zach Wilson. You had Trey Lance. Wilson goes two. The Niners move up. Many thought it was Mac Jones. Turns out Trey Lance, who most of us thought was the pick, and maybe Shanahan really didn't want him. He wanted Mac Jones. Can't go back on it now, but they did all that to try and elevate themselves, and it just didn't work. Now, what's really wild about, as we mentioned before, the Niners, they aren't going to fire anybody because of the decision-making. That occurred in the 2021 NFL Draft. It was like, all right, we're going to go get this guy and should be fine, right? Shouldn't be a problem. It was a problem. And I think it, when it comes to the Trey Lance part of the equation, we'll go to that first and then we'll kind of talk about the other bit that I had too. When it comes to Trey Lance, you look at what you know he's put out there um, for his career in San Francisco 56 for 102, that's a 54.9 um, completion percentage. Adjusted completion percentage is 69.2%. 7.8 yards per attempt, 5 touchdowns, 3 picks, 5 big-time throws, 5 turnover-worthy plays. 
grades in the 50s other than his fumble grade in 2021, which was elite. It was like an 87. Otherwise, you look at just a player who probably needed the extra year in school desperately. And this comes back to what Bill Parcells used to say about quarterback prospects. He wanted a three-year starter at the position, 30 starts, 23 wins. And then we start really talking about this player as a legitimate quarterback prospect. That always doesn't have that doesn't always have to be the case, but more often than not, it's worked out in the favor of that type of model. Lawrence had the requisite starts pretty close to it if he didn't. But there's guys like Trubisky who really played one full year, got hot, and was picked early. Hmm. Right, like that's that's that. Trey Lance had barely double-digit starts for North Dakota State, mind you, which is a big jump. It took Josh Allen until his third year to make said jump. So that's just that's pointing something out right there in terms of how much time it took from Wyoming to elevate himself. And Trey Lance didn't get a lot of opportunities and. Did the Niners really do him dirty? I don't necessarily think so. I think you kind of see it or you don't. I know he's only 23, right? He's still young by every other standard, really. And you look at some of the late bloomers. Tannehill and Geno are are the obvious ones. You know, to, to bet on that. For a 2024 fourth, Dallas, I don't hate the idea of that at all. It's a fourth round pick. I know... As Packer fans on this on this podcast network, we're very accustomed to fourth round picks being good. We continue to get lucky. We continue to hit really well, but also remember that the third round pick was obviously has never been good uh, in recent memory. So, and I think the Niners, you know, are, are perfectly happy getting that pick back because of what we'll talk about in a little bit here. But with Trey Lance, it's just again, it's health has been an issue, right? He gets hurt last season. They thought, oh, Garoppolo got hurt last season. Oh, now it's the time. And then on a running play, a QB power, he gets hurt, done for the season. And, you know, while the play on the field wasn't very good, it just felt like, it seemed like anyway, that, you know, off-season, mini camps, training camps, preseason, it just wasn't clicking. And whether it be the speed of the game, the pace, the ability to maneuver and operate a pocket at a high level at at NFL game speed just felt like too much and for a guy who obviously was a really good athlete had a good arm you know mechanically had some things to work out but it wasn't necessarily a disaster there was belief that that it would take some time it has it's it's still not there and you have to make tough decisions to move on when you've seen enough. There are some who, you know, are less proactive and will hang on till the last, you know, bit and be like, well, maybe, maybe this time, maybe this time, maybe this time, and it doesn't happen. So I guess, you know, sort of props to the 49ers for saying, you know what, this hasn't worked. We're cutting bait. That's it. For Trey Lance. We'll see. Dallas, this is going to be interesting for him. There's 
Obviously, not a lot of expectations. Dak Prescott's the guy for the foreseeable future. Could he end up being a backup? I'm kind of surprised it was Dallas over anybody else. You think Minnesota, you know, Kirk Cousins getting up there. Denver, Russell Wilson, like that feels like a Trey Lance offense where he could hand the ball off a ton, get some easy stuff over the middle and the flats, and then hurl the ball deep. That felt like a place for him to thrive. Also, Seattle would have been a place. San Francisco is never going to trade him there, of course. So, but it's, you know, again, kudos to San Francisco for saying, you know, we got to cut bait. Now, there will be plenty of people who hang on to the draft takes a little bit and they're maybe QB Trey Lance QB one takes, which were a thing and say that, you know, he wasn't given enough of a chance. He needs to be given more of a chance. Deep breath there for you guys. At some point you have to show it early. There's, you're going to get the opportunity. You have to show it. Now, Lance, did he do enough? Yeah. Again, it, it, one of his one of his starts was in a monsoon in Chicago. It's tough to draw a lot from that game. But you know, he the offense should have been something that lifted him until he came into his own and it just really didn't do that. At least when he was on the field. So Dallas gets a you know, a high upside little dart throw for a fourth round pick and the Niners they move on and somehow they're still standing, this current regime, because they sort of found a pseudo Jimmy Garoppolo who can get things done and manage what is a very friendly offense, friendly weapons, middle field throws, you know, a ton of impressive run game concepts, a ton of play action concepts that are going to give quarterbacks opportunities to as long as they're right with accuracy, anticipation, timing, all of that, be a rhythmic passer who can operate sometimes under duress, find a little bit of space for themselves and make plays. Purdy did that down the stretch. Kudos to him for doing that. Do they have the star in Purdy? We'll see. 13 touchdowns, four picks is pretty good. He had a rushing touchdown as well. You know, I, I think you've you've seen something there. Is Brock Purdy just another Jimmy Garoppolo? It's possible, but he's younger, and you know he gave them the best chance to win. Brock Purdy has really saved the Niners in a big way, got them to an NFC title game. Obviously, they got there the year before with Jimmy and didn't get it done. Now, you know Purdy's going to get a full. Obviously, getting injured in the NFC Championship game is not good. Elbow injury. Luckily, the Niners they've got a first round pick again in 2024 will they make it you know will they make a quarterback that selection we'll see Brock Purdy still got stuff to prove but I think it highlights something else that is very interesting since John Lynch jumped on board as the GM their drafts have been particularly interesting you look at 2017 Lynch's first season and first draft Solomon Thomas and Reuben Foster were the selections in the first round. That's not very good. Uh, Thomas never really found the groove, has 10 career sacks, has been on a few teams to this point. Really just a, a player who had the meteoric rise from Stanford in the, 20, in the 2016 season. Wow. 
almost started that with a 20. That would have been incorrect. Just never found it. Was a bit of a tweener, right? You look at him as like, ah, oh, is he a defensive end? Is he, you know, an edge per se, or is he a three-four D end, like defensive tackle and a four-three? Like, where do you play him? And it's just nothing has worked out. Ruben Foster had off the field stuff, you know, had some injury stuff with the shoulder. I thought it was a great bet at pick thirty-one. It didn't work out either. You know, they they've been swinging at quarterback. They took C.J. Beathard from from Iowa in the third. Joe Williams was a fourth-round pick out of Utah, I believe. A lot of hype there. Nothing happened. They've had some saves, though. DJ Jones, defensive tackle, has now bounced around a little bit because San Francisco's got you know some big studs in there at defensive tackle now. He's been really good in the league. That's a hit in the sixth round. George Kittle in that, in that draft, fifth-round pick tremendous player and that's really the a theme for the Niners has been hitting later and, and missing early now McGlinchey in 2018 first round pick was okay you know he played out his, his contract he's out to Denver now created a little bit of a hole at tackle for the Niners that they can hopefully replace so that pick is fine Dante Pettis in the second no go not good returner at best not what you want in a second round pick Fred Warner Third round pick, middle of the rounds. They're figuring it out. Great player, one of the best linebackers in the modern era. Tarverius Moore was a pretty solid role player in the third round as well in that draft. DJ Reed's been all over the place um, the last few seasons in terms of making plays. Only spent two seasons with the Niners. But the last three seasons with two with Seattle, one with the Jets, he has 29 passes defended and three picks. No, five picks, five picks, and 29 passes defended. Big numbers. Huge for the Jets last season. He was a fifth-round pick. Go to 2019. They hit early. We finally hit early. Nick Bosa in round one, Debo Samuel round two. Huge parts of both sides of the ball. They need to get the Nick Bosa deal done. That is something that John Lynch and company need to get done now. The confidence is probably a little bit shaken in them from a fan base. Is like Trey Lance did not work while they cut bait. Wow, this is wild to me. Debo Samuel gets paid. He's been an all-purpose guy. Has double-digit touchdowns as a runner and a receiver. Awesome pick there. And they get Dre Greenlaw, who's, who was a really, just a really, really nice linebacker in the fifth round. 2020 was hit or miss, right? You get Kinlaw in the first. Not been good at all. Ayuk might be the best receiver on the team now. So you have two number ones, essentially, at receiver. And Ayuk and Samuel... And then the Kittle was a fifth-round pick. That's big. Colton McKivitz has played in 28 games as, a, as an offensive lineman. Might need to be in the mix this year a little bit more, too. So they figured things out with some of these mid-round picks. And you look at 2021, why it's been okay. I mean, there, there's some expectations for Jalen Moore now. Tackle out of Western Michigan. But, you know, the Trey Lance pick was 2021. Aaron Banks has been a little bit hit or miss at guard in his career. Trey Sermon, terrible pick. Ambry Thomas, nope. But they get Telenoa Hufanga at safety in the fifth round. Elijah Mitchell in the sixth, ex- extremely quality number two running back. Explosive player. So again, fifth and sixth round have been the best picks so far. Last year, what did they do? They got Purdy in the seventh round. 
In the second round, Drake Jackson really hasn't gotten a lot of opportunities. He will soon. Tyrion Davis-Price, another third-round running back that's basically a throwaway. Spencer Burford out of UTSA is interesting, but they haven't gotten a lot other than their seventh-round pick. And then this past year, they started with three-thirds. They went safety, kicker, tight end. Very strange. They must be confident in their own line. So we got a very strange draft where they'll probably get something either like Ronnie Bell will be good or something or D Winters from TCU linebacker. Like they're, something's going to hit. Daryl Luter, I feel like, is their best pick at corner from South Alabama. That's what I thought their best pick was. But they've managed to f- to find hits a couple in the first and the second, but a lot of mid and day three picks that have worked out for them. They have saved themselves with some clutch drafting in the mid rounds and the late rounds. Purdy being the latest of that. So it's it's not a model that you want to have in your building, but Lynch and company have saved their skins with by hitting when they need to hit. Uh, if they don't early, they hit late. If they don't hit late, they hit early. They've f- figured a way out. Again, not the model. Ideally, you want to be hitting more early, but they figured it out and somehow navigated a disaster in the 2021 NFL draft. So it'll be very interesting to see how the Niners do this year. Obviously, they traded a two for McCaffrey. That's why they started in the third round in 2023. So a lot going on with that franchise, but the Trey Lance pick will forever go down as a terrible one now. Just something, you know, is was, was moving up there. Worth it, the 12th pick in the draft. The pick they moved was Micah Parsons. So just a little thought there for you. And, you know, it's I, I, it's hard to believe, very hard to believe that that's where we stand. And would it be different if they had Mac Jones or Justin Fields? Very possible. Fields, you know, it, he's been trying to work things out. It hasn't worked so far as a passer, right? They could have had him there. Mac Jones, some of it's supporting cast, some of it's on him. Right? He has to take some of the blame for his play. So, you know, if they're sitting at 12 and Parsons is there, imagine Parsons with Warner and Bosa. Absolutely nutty combo. Rashawn Slater, Christian Derisaw, two really quality tackles that they probably could use right now. It's easy to play hindsight, but, you know, you go through this and you look at what could have been. So, again, 2021 NFL Draft, Trey Lance, a very, very interesting uh, finish to the saga there. And, again, we'll be continuing to follow Trey Lance and what he does in Dallas. So let's shift gears. Obviously, that was a little bit longer than I thought on that, but I want to get to this because we did have a quarterback take the field. Also, yes, two Notre Dame tackles, obviously, and Joe Alt and Blake Fisher take the field. Audric Esteem, Estime, uh, at running back for the, for the Irish. I need to make sure I get that name right for future because I think he's potentially going to break on the scene as well. Uh, at running back, looked really, really good. Might have to throw his his uh, name in the ring, name in the hat of what is 
shaping up to be a pretty strong running back class in terms of day two picks. We'll talk about that more, but impressed me. Don't know why PFF has both of the two tackles at center right now in their mock draft simulator. I saw a few of those on the mock draft fanatics page on Facebook. They're like, why are these centers now? I don't know. Probably a glitch that'll probably be fixed or maybe is already fixed. I haven't looked. Uh, it's been a while since I've done a, a full mock, but I'll probably write one up on the Substack, my Substack, at some point before the season begins. But I want to get to Caleb Williams. Caleb Williams got underway. USC got underway against uh, San Jose State on Saturday. Went through Caleb Williams uh, charting. And when I chart now, I used to do it just, you know, what was completed and just turn drops into completions. I, I've changed it a little bit. And now basically, if if I if you see the link and you see this, it's more of on target. So it has the grid of 0 to 10 pre-line of scrimmage, 11 to 19, 20 plus. And basically giving you what's, you know, he was 2 of 3 on target from 11 to 19 to his left while in the pocket. And so out of pocket is also included there. So when you look at how Williams did in terms of his uh, on-target rate, the numbers look pretty good. And we'll share them now for you guys. Obviously, he had four touchdowns. He was 18 of 26. I don't know how ESPN has it confused. They've got 18 of 25. I was I had to go back and check because I saw it in the box score. Um after the game and when i went to chart the film i was like okay there's 26 throws on here what happened pff's got the same good we're on the same page uh he had 18 26 278 and four touchdowns so 10.7 yards per attempt great number there had three big time throws to one turnover worthy play we'll get to that but i want to do the quick chart here for you guys so on passes Pre-line of scrimmage, he was 6 of 6 on target with a touchdown. Then between 0 and 10 yards, uh, obviously all those um, pre-line of scrimmage throws were were in the pocket. From 0 to 10, he was, I believe that is, yes, 8 of 9 in total with a touchdown in terms of on-target throws. Uh out of the pocket, in the pocket, he was 6 of 6 on target with that touchdown. Out of the pocket, he was 2 of 3. So not too shabby there. Uh, intermediate, 5 of 6 on target with a touchdown, all of which was in the pocket. And then down the field, 20 plus, both of which were, I believe, 30 plus, actually. If you go back and look, uh, 1 of 2 with a touchdown. And so the one that was off target 20 plus down the th- down the field was a deep ball, ballooned it, rainbowed it down down the left sideline to his receiver. Receiver kind of had to slow up a little bit, elevated really well and and got hands on the ball, just didn't come down with it. So it's hard. I, I still would probably say since the receiver slowed and stopped, I'm going to throw it off target, but was able to give the receiver a chance to go get the ball, which is big. Uh, third and fourth downs. He did have a throwaway, really, which was grounding on a third down and did take a sack on a third down. So on two of them, unsuccessful. 
for the rest, uh, I believe he picked up five first downs of seven uh, when he got a pass to a receiver. It was five of five. He had two third downs and fourth downs inside four yards, four yards and less. One was a fourth down. He was two of two on target, two of two on target past the marker. Between five and nine yards, he was two of two with a touchdown. Both were on target and past the marker. And then 10 plus, he was one of one on target. Just short of the markers, his receiver doing a little bit of help for him to pick up a first down. Overall, a really strong game from Williams. He showed off the scrambling ability again. I think there were a couple throws uh, up the seam that were really, you know, well-placed. He was giving receivers a chance to make plays after the catch. One of my favorite ones was, and, and you'll see this, I'll probably tweet the video out tomorrow. They ran the curl and the dig route behind the curl route, which is something the Packers have done with Jordan Love, did that in the Philly game. Great anticipatory skills from Williams there, just seeing where the defender is is going to gravitate to and making the decision off of that. So really good job post-snap. He did he did uh, fumble the snap, turn around, pick it up, and throw about a ball 30 yards down the field, kind of off his back foot, touchdown. Um, the receiver took care of the rest, the rest of the 40 yards, but a 70-some yard touchdown. Pretty ho-hum for a touchdown game for the Heisman winner, so... Thought he did really well, and I, I really can't wait to see what he does the rest of the way. I would love to see him get into a playoff game and show it off a little bit. Uh, if we go to the PFF numbers really quick before we take a break here and kind of get to maybe the rest of the stuff I was going to talk about, let's go into the pressure uh, portion of the stats. So when Caleb Williams was kept clean, 15 of 20. Uh, obviously 75% completion that goes up to 85 adjusted. So there are your, uh, I think both of the drops that I had. Yes. Two drops. So of the 26 attempts, but yes, so it goes up to 17 of 20. If there were no drops, 252 yards, 12.6 yards per attempt, four touchdowns, no picks, three big time throws. The one turnover worthy play was kept clean not blitzed it is included there as well 91.1 passing grade when kept clean very interesting under pressure not a very good uh job here from caleb williams uh three of six i believe those were three throwaways adjusting completion percentage is a hundred percent so he was you know i think throwaways aside three of three for 26 yards 4.3 yards per attempt an eight out of of 1.3 yards behind the line of scrimmage, not the best there. Uh, and his passing grade was 51.9 when under pressure. Not the best there. That's something to definitely improve on. When not blitzed, he was 12 of 17 for 182 and four touchdowns. Right had the turnover worthy play 81.3 percent adjusted completion percentage. And then when blitzed and and again blitz doesn't necessarily mean pressured right i think that's something to to for sure note had a 93.4 passing grade i believe uh pff does this weird thing he was six of nine for 96 yards that's 10.7 yards per attempt uh but no touchdowns so 
not bad um, overall. He had a 90.8 passing grade, uh, 56.6 rushing grade, which is interesting. I thought he did a pretty good job scrambling, but and, and then did have a fumble grade of 31.4. I imagine it's because of the fumble, but then he turned around and threw a touchdown uh, because of that. So, yeah, I think all altogether a really strong performance for Caleb Williams against an inferior opponent, right? But I think when uh, under pressure is something to watch. He was actually pretty good under pressure relative to the rest of the QB class, which we'll talk about later this week. Just wanted to highlight that there. So we'll take a break here now, uh, and then we'll come back with a a couple things that I want to talk about uh, before, you know, obviously college gets underway. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. All right, guys, back here with the It's Always Draft Season podcast. So wanted to highlight a few uh, players uh, in terms of breakouts for the college football season for the 2024 NFL draft. And I've, I've thrown a few names down that I wanted to talk about briefly just because, you know, we're not going to get to everybody when we talk about every position, but there are a few names that I really wanted to, to highlight uh, once we got going here. So the first of those players uh and we've 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 talked a lot about you know just running backs in general we've talked about how good the big 10 running backs are uh this coming draft you know you got a couple from ohio state a couple from michigan you got wisconsin so they're well represented but i want to turn our attention out west to oregon technically joining the big 10 very soon i want to talk about bucky irving Okay, he's 5'10", 195, so not the biggest back. You know, he's going to probably be have, have some size questions thrown in there a little bit. But when you look at the numbers, the numbers are impressive. He carried the ball 157 times last year for 1,064 yards. That's 6.8 yards per attempt. Just five rushing touchdowns, which I thought was interesting, but had a 93.4 rushing grade. 
Really impressed with that. 4.36 yards after contact per attempt. Love that number there. 34 runs of 10-plus yards. 38.1% breakaway run rate. His elusive rating was 172.4 last season. That is higher than Bijan Robinson. Just nutty there. And then... On top of it, on top of all that, caught 30 passes for 297 yards. Had a 1.61 yards per route run tacked onto how he did as a runner. He's a do-it-all-purpose back, and and I think he had 1,000 yards. The touchdowns were low. I expect a little bit more this year, catching the football as well. It felt like when I was watching a lot of games of his, he was getting rotated in and out with a couple other guys. I think he's the dude this go-around, which is really exciting. And what I put for him is elusiveness level 100, make you miss in space. He's got wicked spin move, you know, to stay creative. He's just, The cuts are super sharp, and he can string them together and makes bounce-out runs look really easy with his speed and explosiveness. Uh, he can hip-sync into reacceleration really easily. And, and staying creative, staying anticipatory with his vision in space, combined with how well he cuts, how well he can maintain speed, decelerate and accelerate, it is it is a nightmare uh, if you're playing against him on defense. He looks really comfortable catching the football, and there are back, literally back-to-back plays, I think. I don't remember who he, it was against, but there were back-to-back plays where and I might be able to pull it up, but he he catches a pass on a swing pass out wide, just a really simple, 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 uh, you know, pass out to the flat and just makes a, makes a man miss no problem. Like, it just looked that easy. Uh, it might have been against Washington. Maybe it was Utah, one, one of the two, but just, just guys are grasping for air, and just the ability to kind of square you up almost like a split release, right, for receivers who are really good at it and really efficient and really explosive. It, just the ability to, to create some displacement with a plant foot is nuts. Able to reduce the surface area, too, and get skinny uh, in, in rushing lanes between the tackles. And he has the burst for 15 to 20-yard runs on repeat. Biggest questions for me will be the size and the frame, right, for teams is... is you know, when you're looking at backs in the draft, can this guy be the star for your team? Maybe not, but I'll tell you what. I think he's going to be a really dominant passing down change of pace back in the NFL. Contact balance is the question, and playing between the tackles more is the other. He does bounce a ton of runs outside because he can, because he's got the explosiveness and speed too, and he's a great space player. Are you we looking at another Jameer Gibbs of sorts? Potentially, actually. I, I do think that is the case. Uh, the numbers look really, really good. So I, I would expect, you know, if he really hasn't broken out in terms for some, I think the touchdown number will reach breakout level. And I think we'll be talking about him a lot, lot, lot more uh, when the season begins and is underway. Another guy I wanted to highlight as well, uh, maybe two guys from this school. Keon Coleman, uh, formerly of Michigan State, now at florida state transferred over there to join a really great group on offense 
Uh, Keon Coleman is a big player. He's, ah, man, he might be 6'4", 213. I think of the numbers. I'm going to check that just to be safe here. So I have it for you guys. It's 6'4", 215. So he's, he's a bigger receiver. And he is definitely a jump ball specialist. He's definitely the he's down there somewhere guy. Uh, great leaping ability, great positioning for the catch point, good catching instincts. You know, the, the, the leaping timing is really good. Strong hands, uh, you know, and obviously a tremendous blocker. He had 58 catches for 798 yards and seven touchdowns last season. An 80.2 drop grade, that's a really good number. 2.07 yards per route run. Had 155 yards on five catches against Michigan. Had 116 on nine catches and two touchdowns against Washington. Two big games for him. I think just two for 26, if I remember correctly, against Ohio State. So, you know, top competition. Does he have it? Potentially. But I think for me, why he can break out, he's getting a better quarterback in Jordan Travis. Obviously, that's he's joining Johnny Wilson, who's like 6'7". So it's going to be a lot of jump ball offense out there. But I think he can break out. I think 1,000 yards and 10 touchdowns is well within reach for him this season. I just want to see him fight through press a little bit more. It's a bit hit or miss for me, contact in the stem. Can he really maintain leverage and maintain his, his sort of track that he needs to be on in his stem? But he's really efficient with deep curl and comeback breaks. I, I was really impressed with a guy who's 6'4". He can definitely make the first man miss post-catch as long as he's proactive with his feet. Good catch to attack transition, but can we get route running and release, you know, all put together in terms of a full route tree? That's yet to be seen, and I don't think we've got elite speed in there either. So, you know, a defined role, but I, I think the breakout could be coming for him. On top of that, I want to talk about Trey Benson for a second. Another guy who at running back will probably be getting more attention and break out a little bit as well he also had a pretty good season if i remember correctly i'm going to pull him up now need to remember to put height and weight down for these guys 61223 uh he had a 91.4 rushing grade last season 6.5 yards per attempt those are really good numbers uh rushing wise had 154 carries for 994 yards 4.53 yards after contact per attempt. 56.1 breakaway run rate. And an elusiveness rating of 226.6. That's the highest I've ever seen. That's higher than Roshan Johnson's number, which is like 198. And that elusiveness rating is a little bit of like using hesitation and using patience as a big ally for him it gives him a chance to let blockers get in front of him but the real elusiveness factor to his game is he can run you over he can stiff arm you up he's really tough to bring down contact balance is a big big plus great leg drive he's really a bowling ball who then can turn any run into a touchdown once he gets into open space which is a scary scary thing like i said that breakaway run rate is nuts he had 31 rushes of 10 plus those are great numbers he just caught 12 passes for 142 yards though so you know he's he's gaining quite a bit when he's a part of the passing game so again really excited he's he's now in an offense that many people are projecting to be 
you know, top of the top. So I'm really excited to watch him. Uh, like I said, him and Irving will probably be mentioned among the running backs, but I really wanted to talk about him and mention him here just because, again, you highlight some breakout players. A couple others uh, here before we get to the last segment, but really want to talk about uh, Duke's quarterback, Riley Leonard, for a second. When you look at the numbers for Leonard, and, you know, I think I think they're pretty good. Uh, once again, my silly self, I did not put down height and weight. I need to, once again, work on this. 6'4", 212 pounds, so a little bit leaner, more like Lawrence type of lean. At the quarterback position, um, completed 63.5% of his passes last year for 2,951 yards, 20 touchdowns, 6 picks, 7.5 yards per attempt, just 16 big-time throws. That big-time throw rate is pretty low compared to the rest, and then 8 turnover-worthy plays. The passing grades are, are okay. His rushing grade was honestly the thing that carried him a little bit, an 80 rushing grade. Really good athlete with long strides can be a part of the run game read option. He's got really long strides too, if I didn't mention that already. I think he's a really good anticipatory thrower uh, versus zone. He's got enough velocity for tight window throws when he's got the confidence and anticipation to go with it. But he's got a great changeup to layer throws outside the numbers, second level, over the middle in the second level. And he's a good quick game RPO operator. And he can throw on the run, too. He, he's got good accuracy on the run. I think for me, it's just gaining more feel in the pocket. And, and he definitely has missed plenty of layups short uh, in that 0 to 10 range. So that's something I think he needs to clean up. But I, I think there's a really a lot to like on film. And I think he is going to be a top five quarterback for me uh, entering the season. And I have... I definitely believe in him to be a breakout player who, you know, is still flying under the radar a little bit. Uh, the the heavy, you know, big time draft nerds are, are in on him already, but I want, you know, the masses to get to know this name before he maybe breaks out. So Riley Leonard, one of the QBs that I had potentially down for this breakout thing. I want to talk about Riley Leonard's teammate here really quick to kind of round things out. I want to talk about Graham Barton, who, you know, I think is getting more uh, more notice than Leonard. Even so, I think I think Trevor Sikkim at PFF has him in his initial top fifty, and for good reason. I mean, the grades are off the charts when you look at his twenty twenty two season: eighty eight point two grade, eighty six point nine run blocking grade, eighty five point one pass blocking grade. Like this is an underrated name for. A lot of teams at the end of the first round, and he may jump up even higher than that to join the three guys at the top who are in mock drafts and then the potential of Amarius Mims, who I kind of talked about earlier as a breakout candidate. I believe he has allowed, looks like, just two sacks and ten pressures. So, you know, a, a little bit on the dicey side, two pressures allowed against Georgia Tech. A sack allowed against Boston College and Wake Forest. His best games were against Northwestern, Virginia, and Virginia Tech. And then UCF. So 
not the best competition that he's that he's winning against, but he, he's I think you know when you look at him, the the potential is all there. I think you know he's got great quicks and agility, so he's going to redirect. He's going to mirror guys in pass pro. Just exceptional footwork, you know, to recover. The quicks are there in the run game too. He's he's got good drive and, and functional strength as a run blocker. It seems like length bothers him a little bit in pass pro, and, and his functional strength as as a pass protector has to improve, and he needs to be able to hold the top of the arc a little bit better against rushers but overall somebody i think who's going to break out whose grades are really good it matches the film very well and just there's so much to work with already in both phases of the game that another year you know at duke at 6'5 314 pounds he's got the ideal build to play the tackle position uh in the nfl so look for him to jump into mocks as we get closer to you know november december when they really start hitting, obviously has 1,642 snaps at left tackle. And oddly enough, 430 snaps from the 2020 season at center. So something to watch for there as well. I got one more name for you guys, and then we're going to, I think, call it a show, actually. I, I just feel like there's maybe not enough time to, to hit the last segment. We've talked about a lot, and I think it's been a, a, a fun kind of change of pace show from what we've been doing the past uh, several I want to hit Alabama's Chris Braswell, 6'3", 255. He's going to get more snaps now that Will Anderson's out of the picture. Obviously, Dallas Turner we've talked about already as a pass rusher. But Braswell, 30 pressures, 4 sacks. Again, the sack totals weren't good, but the pressure rate is like 16.3%. Just had 183 passing, pass rushing snaps. So the pressure rate's pretty darn good. He had an 81.6 pass rush grade. The run defense has to get better in terms of, you know, sitting, anchoring, leveraging against the run, you know, attacking gaps, staying disciplined. It's a 58.7 run grade, right? So that's, I mean, those match for sure on film. But what he's got is the first step explosiveness, great power, and I think better hands than I expected. He can work speed to power really well. You know, he gets low and tight with his hands to leverage with that initial strike. I think he's got good swipes and chops to kind of counter a little bit and get himself to the quarterback. Had six pressures against Texas A&M. From what I saw, I really liked it, and I think he has a chance to quickly jump onto the radar uh, at pass rusher. So that's definitely somebody I'd be watching for as well on the edge. And, you know, if you're really looking for that, like, oh, you know, who else could I throw out there? I mean, I, I would throw I would throw Antoine Wells in there um, from South Carolina at receiver. Just kind of finish the show out here. You know, the the seventy four point five receiving grade maybe not jump off the page, but an eighty seven point six drop grade, sixty nine catches, nine hundred forty one yards, six touchdowns in twenty twenty two. That's coming off a transfer from James Madison in twenty twenty one. And James Madison seventy five catches, eleven hundred and thirty eight yards, thirteen touchdowns. And then had some giant, giant games this past season. You look at Arkansas, caught 8 for 189 and a touchdown. Vanderbilt, 5 for 119 and two touchdowns. Caught 11 for 177 against Tennessee. And then 9 for 131 and two touchdowns against Clemson. Has 8 yards after the catch per reception, 2.48 yards per route run. And caught 7 of 16 contested balls. 
He's definitely a vertical plane attacking and then a yak guy at receiver. Right when you look at him uh, at 6'1", 208, he's built to to be a yak guy. Uh, they gave him a lot of screen passes. He's got good instincts and vision after the catch and, and pretty good speed to take advantage when blocks are there, when lanes are there. I, he's got the vertical vertical track down. Uh, he positions his body well for the catch point. He attacks the ball in the air. And and shoestring tackles, he'll he'll work to fight off of those. So the contact balance is there as well. Just tuning the finer points of the receiving position is, I think, the reason that you might see a, a true breakout in, in year two at South Carolina for him. That makes me really excited. And, and in an SEC where he's already produced and he produced against Clemson, he's doing against the best competition. I'm really excited to see what he's got in store for 2023. I have more breakout names, but I'm not going to go through a whole lot more because I want to get through them as well when we do positional previews. Those will be out this week as well. And, and I'm excited to really dive into the first week of college football. There's a lot of players to watch, uh, matchups to watch. We'll try to get to those as well with the previews. And yeah, I think you know we're, we're hitting the NFL draft harder and, and better than we have on this show and earlier than before. So we'll have a lot of names that you guys should be familiar with on the show long before the draft. So stick around. We'll have a lot going on uh, throughout college football season. And hope you guys enjoyed. And I will I will catch you guys a couple more times this week, hopefully, to get into positional preview. So enjoy your Tuesday, and I will see you guys very, very soon. 